Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. From I Loan Can Fix It to, hey, don't look at me, the lead starts right now. President Trump saying ignore the alarm bells on the economy as he tries to distract you with new division and insults. Today, why even the best part of the Trump economy may be taking a turn. Fear in America. A possible sniper on the loose today in one of the country's biggest cities. How close this gunman came to murdering a sheriff's deputy. Plus, from Russia, with love. An American CEO steps down after admitting his relationship with an infamous accused Russian agent. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Erica Hill in for Jake Tapper. And we start with the money lead. New warnings of a recession and a clear message from the president. Nothing to see here. In fact, he tweeted today, quote, the economy is doing really well. Meantime, a major predictor of recessions in the past dipped again. Plus, the Labor Department says the job market isn't as strong as first thought. And for the first time in nearly a decade, we learned manufacturing is cranking out less. While overall, the economy may be doing well, the big question is, can President Trump help keep it that way? As CNN's Boris Sanchez reports, even the president doesn't seem to know. President Donald Trump trying to ease concerns about mounting red flags in the American economy by once again taking aim at the Federal Reserve, tweeting today, quote, the economy is doing really well. The Federal Reserve can easily make it record setting. Later adding, our Federal Reserve does not allow us to do what we must do. They put us at a disadvantage against our competition. Fight or go home. In recent days, Trump and allies have insisted the fundamentals of the economy are strong. First of all, I don't see a recession at all. The American economy is strong. We see a very robust economy. But a major indicator of an oncoming recession, the yield curve inverted again for the third time since last Wednesday. And new numbers indicate the Bureau of Labor Statistics overestimated the number of jobs created by more than half a million. New data also reveals the manufacturing sector, an area of emphasis for Trump, has shrunk for the first time since 2009. And a report from the bipartisan Congressional Budget Office shows the federal deficit will come close to $1 trillion in 2019, ballooning in large part because of Trump's 2017 tax cut. I am the chosen one. Economists also blaming the current trade war with China, which Trump yesterday denied was his fault. Somebody said it's Trump's trade war. This isn't my trade war. But Trump did start the trade war last year when he began leveling tariffs on China. That statement by the president, according to CNN fact checkers, one of 11 false claims Trump made during his more than 30 minute Q&A with reporters on Wednesday. One more thing for the president to think about, Erica, the growing number of House Democrats calling for a formal impeachment inquiry. Today, two more Democrats lent their name to that cause bringing the total to 129, more than half of the caucus. Erica. Boris Sanchez, live at the White House for us. Boris, thank you. 
So the president, as we showed you, tweeted earlier today, the economy is doing really well and then followed up by saying the Federal Reserve can easily make it record setting. The question is being asked, why are we paying much more in interest than Germany and certain other countries? Sabrina, it would see that once again, seem that once again, the president is trying to have it both ways. It's this consistent inconsistency, I suppose, that we can now count on. Right. At the same time that the president is saying the economy is fine, there's nothing to see here. He's mulling additional tax cuts, maybe a payroll tax cut to try and boost the economy. He delayed the implementation of some of those tariffs on Chinese goods to try and protect U.S. consumers around the holiday season when he had said all along that the tariffs weren't actually going to hurt American consumers or American workers. He's also passed or approved billions of dollars in emergency funding for farmers because the agricultural industry has been bearing the brunt of these escalating trade wars. So he is trying to have it both ways. And it's very clear from his appearance before reporters yesterday that he's unnerved by the prospect of an economic downturn because the one issue that he has had fairly better approval ratings uh, as president is the economy. Mm -hmm. economy. And so it's very critical to his reelection. I think that's why you really saw him lash out the way he did yesterday. It's it's interesting, too. We saw this reporting from Peter Baker and and Maggie Haberman this morning in The Times, uh, noting some former Trump administration officials in recent days said they were increasingly worried about the president's behavior, suggesting it stems from rising pressure on him as the economy seems more worrisome. And of course, as you point out, as next year's election approaches. It's not just the flip-flops and the concern over the economy, though, Joshua, that we've seen this week. We have seen him thank and, and in fact, praise a right-wing conspiracy theorist. He's lashing out at Denmark and canceling a visit because he can't buy Greenland. I mean, the list goes on and on, which there's the unnerving aspect to it. But there's also a real question of whether this is the president coming off as worried or the president coming off as agitated and unable to control things. I think the larger question, yes, but I also <clears throat> think the larger question is really whether it'll matter. Because remember what happened in 2016. I mean, from the beginning of his campaign, from when he descended that golden escalator at Trump Tower and blamed Mexico for sending crime, drugs, rapists, and some I assume are good people, to all of the rhetoric that came through the 2016 campaign, to the Access Hollywood video, he yet won the presidency. And since that time, some of the voters that we've heard from, some that I've spoken to, still feel confident about their support of President Trump because they see that their personal fortunes, their personal lot in life, Mm -hmm. is doing well. That doesn't mean they approve of his behavior necessarily. I remember I interviewed a guy in Michigan who owns a roofing business that's doing extremely well. And he said, he's, you know, would you support President Trump again? He's like, my lot in life is good. My business is doing great. I asked him, would you do business with President Trump? And he said, I'd get half the money up front first. So I think <laughs> the voters that's who support. Yeah. But then again, think about it. As long as the voters who support the president see that their personal prosperity is yet strong, they might be able to hold their noses again in 2020 and vote for him regardless of what he does now. I think he knows that, and that might be why he doesn't care. I think, I think taking half the money up front is pretty sound advice, no matter who you're dealing with. I hear that, Certainly yeah. in that case, without a doubt. I think some of this also is coming off the fact, Erica, you, you talked about the president coming off of one thing or another. I think a lot of this comes off the fact that he's coming off vacation. He had a lot of free time to look at a lot of different issues. Always and, has and a lot of free time. Exactly. But, but with regard to the economy, I don't, I'm not sure who a lot of these reporters are, are talking with. The folks I talk to dealing with the economy, they look at from the broad spectrum. Yes, the bond yield inversion was troublesome. That is generally a sign of a potentially far down the road recession. But if you look at the economy, the full dashboard of the economy, there's many potential aspects of that talking about the credit 
uh, a housing market, jobs, and all of those numbers with regard to jobs and the economy are strong. 3.7% unemployment, the, the labor, more labor participation rate, and the, and the wage growth is at, at a good steady point. So across the board, the numbers are good. If they remain steady, Here's, but here's the problem, and this goes to something Josh was saying. The difference between now and 2016 is you know what three years of Trump is like. Mm-hmm. It's exhausting, right? If just an average American watching your local news this week, one day he says payroll taxes, then no, we're not doing that. I'm mad at Denmark. I'm going. I'm not going. We're buying Greenland. And for the average American, it's complicated. It's like, what's happening? What, why is my president seeming so erratic? And we know that that erratic behavior is having an impact on world markets. It's ironic that he would cite the rates in Germany, given that Germany, he also just last week mentioned, was in economic trouble. So why are we comparing ourselves to them this week? And I think so the problem is, and we see this in poll after poll after poll, People want a sense of calm. They're tired of getting up every day and not knowing, are we going to war because somebody offended the president? And the truth is, just last thing, the economy's not doing very well for a lot of people. Part of the, if you look under the hood of some of those numbers, it's because people have more than one job and their costs are still high. Their benefits are not keeping up. And so I think there's an anxiety that people have. And people are still anxious, frankly, from 2008. We saw this in Obama's, during Obama's tenure. So all of this volatility... I don't think it's going to help. One thing that I found fascinating is that the Trump 2020 campaign actually dismissed these contradictions that we've heard as a debate happening within the administration. It's just that President Trump is voicing it in public. I mean, Alice, come on, when you look at that, especially based on your experience, that can't really be the message. That is how he has always operated. Look, many people in administration... We know that's how he operates, but for that as a message... It's one thing to say we know this is how it operates, but this is the message that we're putting out here. Well, we're just having contradictions in the campaign, and so he's just talking about it publicly. I know you can't control him as a candidate. We know that. The president does what he wants to do, but that still seems like a lot to put out there. Right, but the, but the, still, and, and if we turn things back to the actual numbers with regard to many people look at the, the unemployment rate and the, the wage growth, which is at a good point. If you look at the numbers, they are certainly strong. The president... It's a daily situation to where a spokesperson comes out and says something and he comes out and tweets something different. That is not not unusual. But for him to have a dialogue that is open and public, as he is doing now, that's not unusual. He's done it before and he will continue to but do so. the problem so. also is I think part of what we're seeing is this is how he ran his his many, many, many failed businesses, right? Like Mr. King of Debt, right? And the difference is when you're president, there are actual laws you have to follow. You can't just declare bankruptcy and underpay certain people. Uh, Stay with us. Uh, We also want to tackle the Democrats on the debate stage. Bernie Sanders bragging, of course, that he wrote the damn bill. Well, now he's making a key change to his signature health care plan. Plus, the stockpile of guns, ammo and tactical gear assembled for a plot to commit a massacre at a Marriott. How authorities were tipped off. In our 2020 lead, it is one of the main pillars of Bernie Sanders' White House run. But today, the Vermont senator seeming to admit he needs to make a change if he's going to win over a crucial block of Democratic voters. CNN's Ryan Nobles takes a closer look at Sanders' new Medicare for All proposal, which is already drawing backlash from his rivals. In Paradise, California, a city destroyed by the worst wildfire in state history, Senator Bernie Sanders today warned that without dramatic action, this scenario will continue to play out all around the world. We need bold and aggressive action to combat climate change, which is the common enemy, not just for the United States, but for countries all over the world. 
And this is a crisis, by the way, that the United States alone cannot solve. Sanders, an early supporter of the Green New Deal, unveiling a comprehensive plan to combat the climate crisis, calling for 100 percent renewable energy for electricity and transportation by 2030, eliminating fossil fuel use by 2050, all with the goal of creating 20 million new jobs. But it won't be cheap. A price tag of more than $16 trillion, a cost Sanders vowed would pay for itself over time. He is also tweaking his signature health care proposal, Medicare for All, changing it to protect labor unions concerned the proposal will prevent them from negotiating their insurance benefits. Wouldn't that take away our right to bargain for our, uh, our medical benefits? That yeah, we get from absolutely the it would. It's not a bad thing. How about bargaining for decent wages? Good. Sanders' new provision would force companies with union-negotiated health plans to go back to the bargaining table with the goal of reaping better benefits and bigger wages. And as Sanders talked climate change today... A good morning. The one candidate who made the issue his central focus announced he was leaving the race. It's become clear that I'm not going to be carrying the ball. I'm not going to be the president. Washington Governor Jay Inslee will now instead seek a third term after struggling to gain traction in the massive field. He isn't the only one turning his attention home. I know changing Washington is hard, but I want to give it a shot. Former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper, who dropped out last week, announced plans today to run for U.S. Senate against incumbent Republican Cory Gardner, who Democrats see as vulnerable. And there are other Democratic presidential candidates who may feel the pull to abandon their White House runs to focus on their home states. Among them, Beto O'Rourke of Texas and Steve Bullock in Montana. Both are in states where Senate seats are up for grabs in 2020, but both have emphatically said that despite their struggles in the polls, they have no interest in running and th- running for anything other than the presidency. Erica, we will see what happens. Ryan, thank you. As we look at this with Governor Jay Inslee uh, now dropping out, we're down to 22 Democrats who are running at this point. Just 10 of those candidates have qualified for the next debate. So, Karen, if you're advising any of these <laughs> other 12 candidates, if they don't make the cutoff, next week. Is it time for them to drop out? What would you advise them they do? It's time to have a very serious look at your fundraising numbers, at your uh, what kind, what your numbers look like in this, if certainly the four early states in terms of in Iowa, your uh, commitment to caucus cards, your how your list building is going in South Carolina and New Hampshire to see is there a way to get there in for the October debate? Is there really a pathway to get yourself sort of in front of the voters that you need to get the votes? Probably the answer, quite frankly, is going to be no. Mm-hmm. But I suspect that there are going to be, of that 12, a number of them that it's that's going to be um, a harder thing to accept. And it may take a, you know, acceptance takes some time. Those two letters so. sometimes are very difficult to get out. <laughs> exactly. The word no is not easy exactly. on a so, number of levels. So, um, You know, what's interesting, too, though, as we look at this, Tom Steyer, of course, needs one more qualifying poll um, to make these September debates One of his rivals, though, so we're hearing from Governor Bullock, who said, basically, listen, you're the billionaire who's just trying to buy your way into this. He responded to that this morning on CNN. Take a listen. For 10 years, I've been taking on corporations at the ballot box and winning. And that's exactly what we need now, a message to Americans that we can actually accomplish what we need to accomplish. Joshua, how do you think voters see this? I don't know. I mean, I've interviewed Tom Steyer on 1A, and I'm not still clear on exactly what his policy plans are. I mean, he's very clear that he believes that, you know, President Trump is a a con man and a liar and a bigot and someone who needs to be thrown out of the White House. He says he's been taking on big corporations for a long time. Clearly, that's made him quite wealthy. 
But in terms of the nuts and bolts and the nitty gritty of his policy plans, I'm not he didn't really sharply articulate them to me. I also am not sure in terms of who should be in and who should be out. Whether or not anyone, whether or not Tom Steyer is among those who've made a real impression, I mean, Mm -hmm. let's be clear. There is a certain kind of chorus line feel to a lot of these debates. You're kind of looking for somebody who stands out. And Tom Steyer's kind of a dance 10 looks three at this point. Like, I don't know if he's done anything. (laughs) Can I just stop you for a second? I'm loving all of these references. You're welcome. (laughs) You are welcome. But you know what I'm saying? I I do. I I feel like in in the mass of all these debates, we're kind of looking for a moment or for a candidate to be able to advance a dialogue like Jay Inslee dropping out. Mm-hmm. He said his top thing was climate change. That's great for him going back to Washington state running for a third term because sure. a governor on the West Coast can do tremendous things in terms of climate change policy. Look at California with Assembly Bill 32. Mm-hmm. That has a climate change target for next year and a stronger one for 2030. But with Tom Steyer, I'm not sure when his breakout moment's going to be or what his backup plan is going to be so that if he doesn't get the nomination, he can say, at least I walked away with X. I'm still trying to solve for X. So the, 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 yeah, the truth <laughs> yeah. the key, key is you cannot buy your way into the White House. You have to work really hard at it. And slow and steady wins the race. And I don't see Tom Steyer as much of a tortoise. He is one that wants to get out there and make a lot of hay and make a lot, make a lot of headlines. He can buy a lot of airtime, but he cannot buy his way to the White House. I worked with the last three winners of the Iowa caucus, and they got out there and they won by working the ground in mm-hmm. Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, shaking hands, retail politics, staying under the radar until the Iowa caucus came around and making a splash. But these debates are an interesting dynamic. If you don't have the opportunity to be on that debate stage and make your case to the nation like that, it makes it very difficult. But I would never encourage someone to get out if you have the money and you have the momentum on the ground to keep mm-hmm. going. I think you should. A good, healthy debate is good for the, the momentum part is key. Um, what's fascinating, too, is as we're looking at what we're hearing from Bernie Sanders today, um, saying, oh, you know, we're not really changing much. We're just making an addition. <laughs> um, there was a fascinating response from the communications director for Senator Kamala Harris, who tweeted, quote, oh, how interesting. I thought no one was allowed to make any changes to Medicare for all plans at all ever. I think there was a snap missing at the end of that tweet, maybe. Um, I mean, obviously, Sabrina, trying to deflect a little bit from legitimate questions that have lingered about Senator Harris and her plan. But I do find it interesting that, you know, the communications director chose to go after Bernie Sanders today. Well, there's been a fair amount of back and forth Mm -hmm. between uh, the Sanders campaign and the Harris campaign in particular over the issue of health care. Sometimes Joe Biden's campaign has also been part of this conversation. What this debate is really about is the role of private insurance. Mm -hmm. And uh, Senator Harris had initially signaled that she would eliminate private insurance before walking that back. Now you have Bernie Sanders uh, having some union or labor representatives saying that they've negotiated their benefits under the existing system. So with his Medicare for All plan, what would that mean for them? And he said you can go back to the drawing board with the supervision of the National Labor Relations uh, Board and and try and renegotiate those benefits. So is that opening up the door for some role for private insurance? His campaign says no. Some others say yes. Now, this might sound very much in the weeds. There's a lot of nuance in this debate over health care. But what it really speaks to is the importance of health care, not just for the general electorate, but specifically in the Democratic primary. I think that's going to be a top priority for a lot of Democrats going to the polls. And that's why you see these candidates really jockeying to position themselves at the center. And of those debate. voters are going to need clear answers. And that's what's been tough up until now is yeah. to get a really an answer that makes sense to, to where I'm at. And it's um, as a between being a front runner and being a challenger. And mm-hmm. Bernie's now front runner means you got to listen to what people are asking for. Mm-hmm. This is true. A hotel cook is behind bars after telling a co-worker a story 
Now, just wait until you see what police found inside his home. Our national lead, an urgent manhunt underway right now across California for a sniper who shot a sheriff's deputy walking to his car outside his station yesterday. That shooting took place in Lancaster about an hour north of Los Angeles. Let's get straight to CNN's Stephanie Elam, who is there for us this afternoon. So what more do we know about the targeting of this officer, Steph? Well, we don't know, Erica, that he was targeted. We don't even know why the shooting had happened. There's so many questions here, but I want to show you exactly what is of concern to many of the people who work in this area. As you can see through this gate, which happens to be opening on cue right now, you can see back there that is an apartment complex. And below that, these are personal vehicles of these uh, deputies. This is where this one officer was walking yesterday, just about three o'clock in the afternoon. When shots rang out, he was able to call for backup. The bullet actually hit his bulletproof vest and ricocheted off and hit him in his right shoulder. He is expected to make a full recovery. It could have been so much worse. Obviously, after that, uh, the deputies locking down the building. They went through the building, making sure that there was uh, nothing they could find in there. They didn't. There was also a nearby school that they locked down. Uh, but still, with all of this information and all of that locking down, they still have not been able to identify who the shooter was and why they did it. And at this point, there is nobody in custody, Erica. That is chilling. Uh, all right, Stephanie, thank you for that. Meantime, authorities in California also revealing chilling new details about a plan to carry out a mass shooting at a Marriott hotel. That shooting to be carried out by one of the employees. As CNN's Nick Watt reports, it is just one in a series of plots thwarted by law enforcement since the massacres in El Paso and Dayton. High-powered rifles, hundreds of rounds of ammunition, 38 illegal high-capacity magazines, and tactical gear, all found at Rodolfo Montoya's home. Suspect Montoya had clear plans, intent, and the means to carry out an act of violence that may have resulted in a mass casualty incident. The 37-year-old was a cook at this Marriott Hotel near the airport in Long Beach, California. He was upset about some uh, recent workplace uh, activity. Uh, having to do with HR. And allegedly confided in a colleague his plan. He was going to shoot up fellow employees and people coming into the hotel. So he, he had a plan of, of shooting everybody that he saw in the hotel. That colleague reported Montoya's alleged threat to hotel management Monday night. Police were called and he was arrested at his home in nearby Huntington Beach within 24 hours. Because this was reported, I firmly believe many lives were saved. More than two dozen people have been arrested across the country for allegedly plotting or threatening mass casualty attacks since that spate of shootings in early August that killed 34. Oh, they shoot him. At a garlic festival in California, in Dayton, Ohio, and in El Paso, Texas. Security sources tell CNN that FBI Director Chris Ray has ordered field offices to conduct new threat assessments to stifle future attacks. This alleged Long Beach plotter currently held on a half million dollar bond had no previous criminal history that would have raised a flag on a background check. We are certainly living in dangerous times, I think, in our country, in our community, uh, and incidents uh, where, um, where folks that should not have access to, uh, to weapons and to uh, certainly uh, uh, illegal weapons um, are, are facing our departments and our police departments across the country. 
Now, the Long Beach Police Department will be filing their case with the DA any minute now. Meanwhile, we know that Montoya is being held on a half million dollar bond on charges of manufacturing and distributing assault weapons, possessing an assault weapon and making a criminal threat. Erica. You see something, say something. Takes on new meaning, doesn't it, Nick? Thank you. Joining me now, James Galliano, former FBI supervisory special agency and law enforcement analyst. So when we look at this, what do you make of this plan specifically, this sophistication, the plan to to shoot up not only employees of the hotel, but people as they were walking in in that arsenal that we saw? Well, I got to tell you, Erica, this is what law enforcement across the country at the state, local and federal level do every single day and twice on Sunday. This was the disruption of a plot before it resulted in Gilroy, California or El Paso, Texas or Dayton, Ohio. Now, in this instance, we have an individual who appears to have been a disgruntled employee. He also had access to a a, a variable cachet of weaponry. When you ask me about the specificity or, or how... How, 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 how supremely um, his plan, how well his plans were. Let me just read this to you. This is chilling from the police chief. Mr. Montoya had clear plans, intent, and the means to carry out an act of violence that may have resulted in a mass casualty incident. He had three things, intent, plans, and the means. The fact that law enforcement interdicted this when they did is a absolute, I mean, just hats off and kudos to law enforcement officers what they did. When you look at this, as Nick pointed out, more than two dozen since uh, since the shootings over the summer, uh, and specifically in El Paso and Dayton, more than two dozen arrests by local and federal law enforcement. Do you see this as a surge in plots? Are you more concerned about copycats? Is it people like this co-worker hearing something and saying, I have to tell someone about this? You know, I, I think the FBI director, Christopher Ray spoke to Congress, spoke in front of a House committee back in April. He was very careful and he was talking about hate crimes and bias crimes mm-hmm. and, and the uptick or, or what appears to be a proliferation of these things. And he said, we're not certain if there actually is an uptick or if it's just better reporting. Erica, to your point, could this be better reporting? Well, look, we just had three successful from the bad guy's perspective shooting. So, of course, we're going to be much more acutely aware of a plot like this that was disrupted prior to something bad happening. I know we don't always hear about all of these arrests that are made uh, for obvious reasons, but when we're looking at this and, and the spate of them, and you talk about this is what law enforcement does every day and twice on Sunday, does this add at all? Are you concerned that they may need more resources to deal with what you want, which is people reporting things. Yeah. We have a country of 335 million people. There are approximately 1.2 million police officers. It is an infinitesimal personnel resource. Look, they're working really hard. It's tough being a cop today or being in law enforcement. You've got to be a social worker, a therapist. You've got to have mental health uh, understandings of how people are built and how they're going to react. And you have to be a diviner of intent. And that's the hardest part, Erica. It's looking at something, reading something on the Internet, hearing somebody say something and determining whether or not they're just spouting off or whether they're actually going to commit a heinous act. That's the tough part. James Galliano, always appreciate the insight, my friend. Thank you. Thanks, Erica. One more Republican apparently wants in on the 2020 race, as another is deflecting VP speculation that was seemingly started by that person. Plus, the CEO of a major company resigning today because of his tryst with this accused Russian agent. In our politics lead, former Illinois congressman turned conservative radio host Joe Walsh might be the second Republican to take on President Trump in the primaries, hinting at a run earlier today. 
Are you running against him? I'm strongly, strongly considering it. That's, again, I'm not trying to be cute or coy. I've told you before, if somebody's going to get in there and go after him, John, it's got to be done soon. Joe Walsh clearly sees an opportunity here. It wouldn't be the first time. He, of course, uh, gained national attention as part of the extreme right wing of the Tea Party. Also for his comments on birtherism, repeatedly questioning President Obama's faith. The list really goes on and on. And then, of course, there was a mea culpa last week in The New York Times. Sabrina, I'm curious because you actually covered him as a candidate. What do you make of all of this? What's behind this this latest move and even you know what we saw last week from him? Well, I think the key word you use is opportunity. And a lot of Republicans I've spoken with look at someone like Joe Walsh and they don't see a politician who can try and claim the moral high ground when it comes to President Trump, who he supported uh, very forcefully Mm -hmm. in 2016, even when Trump was making all of these incendiary comments about immigrants and people of color. You point to some of the comments that Joe Walsh himself has made. He also suggested that the reason President Obama was elected was because he was an articulate black man and there were a lot of feelings of white guilt. Uh, He accused him repeatedly of being a secret Muslim. He once called on Americans to come together and defeat Islam. He was involved in a lengthy dispute over not paying child support to his ex-wife. As you said, the list goes on and on. And now he has penned this op-ed apologizing for some of that past behavior. And I don't think it's a coincidence to most people who are reading that op-ed and saying you picked now to apologize when you're flirting with a possible challenge to the president, which people would then see as a publicity stunt. It's interesting, too, because if we look at where we're at, right, in 2019 leading into 2020, the president has an 88 percent approval rating, I believe, is the latest number um, among Republicans. So, yes, we have former Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld, as we know, officially challenging uh, there at Mark Sanford is, you know, flirting with a run. Um, but at this point, is anybody a realistic challenger to President Trump? Well, at least Bill Weld is out answering questions. You know, he was at the <clears throat> annual convention of the National Association of Black Journalists earlier this month in Miami, attended a candidate forum which uh, Mayor Buttigieg, Senator Sanders, Senator Booker also attended. So at least he's answering questions as if he's really running. (laughs) But here's the image that I keep in my mind, right? I imagine somebody saying, okay, see that buzzsaw over there, the one that's running, that's been running since November of 2016? I want you to walk straight for that buzzsaw and just keep walking no matter what happens. That is the cultural equivalent of running against Donald Trump right now. Why would you put yourself in that position unless you are ready from the moment you announce to be at the top of his Twitter feed from now until the primary start? I just don't know who is going to want to walk into that, especially if they're not committed to winning. That's why when Mark Sanford was speaking on Sunday, when he said, I'm thinking about running, talking to my family, and then was asked, if Trump is the nominee, will you support him? And he said, yes. That didn't square for me. Mm-hmm. If you're not running to win, why walk toward the buzzsaw? It doesn't make sense. And they will all acknowledge. Mark Sanford acknowledged this would be a daunting task. Uh, Welsh has said this would be a, a bar fight. But look, you have Donald Trump, as you say, virtually 90 percent approval in the Republican Party. This is a guy who can raise three quarters of a million dollars selling plastic straws with his name on it. Mm-hmm. You're going to go against that? You might as well walk into a buzzsaw because... <laughs> It's just not going to happen. It, it, for the Republican primary, I'm all about vigorous primaries, but the president has this party locked up. You can disagree with his tone and tactics, but if you're a Republican, his policies have been spot on. And if I may add, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, to, no, but sir. if I may add also, the, the people who are talking about him being unfit, you know, Joe Walsh, Mark Sanford, Bill Weld, they're talking about the character of President Trump and his actions and his words. With those actions and words, 
he still has an 88 percent approval rating. So if you're going to beat Donald Trump, you need to go after something else. Can you make us more prosperous Mm -hmm. than Donald Trump can? Can you make America more respected in the world than Donald Trump can? you got to hit voters in terms of the benefits they perceive from Donald Trump, because clearly the unfit thing, that's not doing that's it. not doing it. I do want to get to this before we go, because it has a lot of people <laughs> scratching their heads. So Nikki Haley shot down what she called rumors. Apparently, she's the only one, though, who's heard this rumor, at least from what I can see. <laughs> rumors of her replacing Mike Pence on the 2020 ticket. You see here she posted a picture of her along with the VP saying, enough of the false rumors. Vice President Pence has been a dear friend of mine for years. He's been a loyal and trustworthy VP to the president. He has my complete support. The president, of course, said, I mean, months ago, back in June, he said, listen, 100 percent, he is my running mate. I don't know where Nikki Haley is hearing the rumors. Is she floating them? I think she's floating them herself, which is a fun little tactic on on Twitter. And just to kind of keep her name ID out there, I don't think she would seriously, A, make a play for the vice presidency. Pence is the perfect person for Trump. And I don't think anybody would really support uh her replacing him because, again, the conservatives and those folks in that 88 percent, they love Mike Pence. Well, if nothing else, it got us talking about Nikki Haley. And that's the, that was, there we go. So it worked. Um, just ahead, we are also talking about what is known as the planet's lungs, producing nearly 20 percent of the Earth's oxygen. Now, though, the Amazon rainforest is burning at a record rate. What sparked many of those fires? Next. A three-year affair with an accused Russian agent, and now the CEO of a major American company, is out of a job. Overstock head Patrick Byrne resigning today after admitting to a relationship with Maria Butina. Yes, that, Maria Butina, the woman on your screen, who admitted to trying to infiltrate conservative political circles and promote Russian interests before and after the 2016 presidential election. CNN and Sarah Murray joins me now with more. So what more do we know about? Three years is a long time. It, this is a very bizarre story, essentially because Patrick Byrne, the CEO, was the one who came forward and shared this information in a variety of interviews and now is stepping down. He admitted to having this three-year relationship. He said in an interview with the New York Times that it started when they met at a political event called Freedom Fest, and they sort of hit it off from there. You know, this whole time, she also had another long-term boyfriend. His name was Paul Erickson. He was a Republican political operative. So apparently these were going on at the same time. And, you know, this bubbled over, I guess, to the point where he ended up stepping down from his post. You know, he sent a series of press releases that I think scared some of his investors, caused their stock to, to tumble. And, of course, we know what's happening with Maria Bettina. She was sentenced to 18 months uh, for her sentence. She's behind bars in Tallahassee still. Wow. It is, uh, it is fascinating. Not the development that I was expecting, but there you go. Mm-hmm. Never a dull moment, Sarah. Thank you. In our world lead, the Amazon is burning at a record rate, and Brazil's president believes the fires were purposely set to make him look bad. Researchers, meantime, say the raging fires were likely started by ranchers and loggers who were hoping to clear the land. The Amazon rainforest produces nearly 20 percent of the Earth's oxygen. It's often called the planet's lungs. And the World Wildlife Fund warns these fires could cause the Amazon to emit carbon instead, accelerating climate change. He's admitted involvement in murders and kidnapping. So why did U.S. officials just race to protect El Chapo's godson? In our politics lead, the White House today dropping a controversial plan to get rid of up to $4 billion of foreign aid without getting approval from Congress. A source telling CNN it was the president's decision not to move forward with that plan, the latest in a series of flip-flops from the White House. In our pop lead, he once said, you're only as good as the people you dress. 
and Halston dressed some of the best, including Liza Minnelli, Bianca Jagger, even designing Jackie Kennedy's iconic pillbox hat. CNN's Kate Bennett looks at the man who epitomized style for his time and changed the game of fashion. It was the freewheeling party vibe of the 1970s and 80s New York City that defined the fashion of Halston. His clothes hit me like this is it, and this is the fashion that I would want to wear. Halston embodied chic, his design sometimes no more than an expertly cut piece of fabric. No zippers and buttons. He was a visionary. Sunglasses, slick back hair, and parties at nightclub Studio 54 were his muse. I do everything with every design. They're, you know, they're my designs. I don't have any other designers. Despite his in status, Halston wasn't from a cosmopolitan upbringing. He was born Roy Halston Frowick in Des Moines, Iowa in 1932. A shy Midwestern boy, he learned to sew from his grandmother, eventually attending design school and becoming a hat maker. Were you the person who put the pillbox on Jackie Kennedy? Yes, I was. <laughs> a storied start to his career was creating the hat of the era for Jackie Kennedy at her husband's inauguration, and quite by accident. It was a rather windy day, and she put her hand on the hat, and it ended up to have a dent in it. And so when, during all the ceremonies, it had a dent in the hat, and uh, everybody who copied it put a dent in it, which was so funny. <laughs> By the 70s, Halston's clothes were revolutionizing the fashion scene, dressing rock stars and artists, palling around with Andy Warhol, and using his friends, models of color like Alva Chin and Pat Cleveland. He made things as though you didn't really need the structure as much as you needed the woman. He really based most of his collection on most of us girls. Halston eventually sold his name to J.C. Penney. name is Halston. Making Halston clothes, Halston perfume, Halston luggage, and Halston bedding, losing control of the empire he created, which he would later come to regret. And though he tried to buy back the label, his career in later years became making one-off looks for good friends. Like Bianca Jagger and Liza Minnelli. I am wearing a uh, classic Halston. Halston was diagnosed with AIDS in 1988 and died in 1990. But his legacy as the fashion designer of the glitterati generation lives on. Kate Bennett, CNN, Washington. Our thanks to Kate for that piece. The all-new CNN film Halston premieres Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern and Pacific, only on CNN. Thanks for joining us today on The Lead. You can follow me on Twitter at Erica R. Hill. And be sure to tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.